How's it going? Good. How are you? Yeah, good. Um, I just, I guess, picking it up from where we, where we just left where off. Where we just left off. Yeah. And, okay. And what we were thinking about was, hey, what if we we had these conversations, right, with people? Mm-hmm. And let's start with ourselves. I mean, what we're looking to do is have these conversations about how uh, we have gone through our experiences and all the things that we've learned. But the difference is, is that while we continue to grow and, and thrive in, in our state that we're in right now, we're also very aware that, you know what, as much as we got through that, we could face it the next minute. And so when we look at and try to talk to people and have conversations with them about what they did right, mm-hmm. there's this assumption in there that I think we want to. Uh, we want to really take a closer look at, which I think I, I disagree with. With I, which it's a it's a misconception. Yeah. That because they've been through it, they now are not vulnerable anymore, and that they know everything. You get Teflon covering. And they're them. enlightened. Whereas, in fact, the truth is, is a much more humble state, right? And with with knowing that, with expressing it that way, perhaps the people that seem to be stuck at these points realize that you know really those people aren't that special i think Mm -hmm. that's a big piece that's missing it's a huge piece that's missing because i feel we're we're socialized to to not view ourselves as powerful as we actually are and harness our own internal capacity to thrive and our strength we're always told we have to look for it externally you know yeah i always used to feel when i was kind of like at that point at those lower points those earlier stages right mm -hmm. when i would look up to somewhere or someone or some discussion there was this gap kind of that i felt existed it was like there was no bridge for that and I was like, oh, I guess I don't have that talent or I don't have that know-how or I'm not that skilled mm-hmm. or worthy or whatever, right? Call Self-talk. it the fear, mm-hmm. call it the fear of success itself. Yeah. Right. Until I came to, to realize that actually I'm not different. I'm not very different from these ones. Mm-hmm. The reason I, I thought this or I was taught this was because again, there was this, this fallacy that they did everything right. They never did anything wrong. They had um, opportunities and support I didn't have. Correct. And yeah. as a result, or they're more special in some ways. Mm-hmm. And something's wrong with me. And you see how like yeah. you know, it's just a self-defecating like, it's just, kind of narrative yeah. buries people down. Right. Yeah. So we could actually talk through something like that where we've actually had experiences where we've had that same, what did you call it? Self self responsibility, right? But what were we doing to ourselves when we were oh, self deprecating? Yeah, right. So when yeah. we start doing that to ourselves, you've done it, I've done yeah. it. Yeah, and sometimes we've learned to do it, right? Yeah, uh, and you manifest more of the same when you do that, too. right? So I would love to take a closer look at that. Mm-hmm. I, I do it sometimes just out of conversation when we're talking to people about, hey, don't worry, I did this, mm-hmm. right? And then this is what I learned. Yeah. And you know well, the what? humility of it is not um, known. Right. So when I don't really I haven't really been well versed in watching people who've achieved great success or reading biographies. I've just it just hasn't been a thing for me. Um, but I have seen some of them and I do. You know, it's a lot of bravado, I find. Right. There's some good tools and good information there. Don't get me wrong, but it's a lot of bravado and it's humility that um, people need. Because the humility is the baseline for 
everyone's connection, right? Humility is the baseline for everyone's strength. Because when you can be humble and look at yourself objectively through the lens of like, oh, I'm really great at this or I really could improve over here, you know, sitting with that neutrality lets you know that you're always in a perpetual state of learning and creating, right? And so and I then think that that's gap the doesn't essence. look so big. The gap does and and then and then it's and this is the thing. It's gonna ebb and flow, right? You're gonna gather your strength and your skills and you're gonna excel in this little pond you're in. And then guess what? You're gonna jump into a lake and all of a sudden you're like, oh no, it's so much bigger. I I you know I can't swim across this lake. It's huge. I'm used to my little pond. But what people forget is that the strength you have in the pond is still there and just as vigorous in the lake. It just looks differently now because you're swimming in new waters. And again, you're going to acclimate and you're going to build and you're going to strengthen. Then you're going to go to an ocean. <laughs> and like, that's just, that's just the way it goes. Um, okay. But so people get really we, defeated. How about we, we build that bridge or, or we get rid of that gap? Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. You know, how many times have, has this happened, right? Um, and you can, there's so many examples, right? But one thing that we recently talked about, um, and hey, you can go or I can go. It doesn't really matter. I feel like either, you know, like we help each other. Yeah. And that's the point of this this specific conversation um, is that I feel I've been through those kind of moments where there's a lot of self-doubt. Mm -hmm. And either it's, it's self-inflicted or, you know, we learned it from somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, or a combination of the both. Usually yeah. it's yeah. a combination. Yeah. And what happens is it's a, it, it's a creep. I call it it creeps in. It doesn't just. It doesn't, it's not like the lights yeah. on and the lights off. Yeah. It just dims slow slowly. Drip. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I figured we could start at a certain point where it was dark enough. Let's just say if we're using the analogy of lighting. Right. So it was dark enough. And then we realize, oh, my God, it's pretty dark. And then from there, we start saying, how did it how did it get here? Where did I go wrong? So we we start from that moment. We go backwards of the a depth little bit. of the darkness. Yeah. Okay. We get to that point. We're like, okay, it's it's dark here. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, something's wrong. Something tells us something's wrong. And then we like the why, what, what, how did I get here? Why did I get here? Mm -hmm. And then there's like that that analysis that we do, right? And then there's a okay. So these are my next steps. Yeah. Now sometimes we do that on our own, and sometimes we get help along the way. So I just thought we could take a look at like any one of those. And you you shared like with me this, uh, your own sort of experience that you had. Mm -hmm. And even though you're a professional in walking people through their own challenges that they have, mm -hmm. what I really appreciate about what you have said is that even you as a professional mm -hmm. have had to face your own, you know, abyss. Of course. Yeah. Well, yeah. this is the thing. You say, like, of course I have. And yeah. it's kind of like you wear it like a badge, right? Yeah. I, I look at it like yeah. a badge, quite frankly. Yeah. Whereas others see it as, like, this sort of thing that they want to throw away and hide. Yeah, I see it as I have my BSW, my RSW, my MSW. These are my, you know, my official yeah. letters. But right. then I have all of these other life experiences, right? right, that have bequeathed me so much knowledge that if I hadn't gone through that and felt it and moved through it and reconciled and forgiven yeah. and incorporated and yeah. integrated all of these things, I wouldn't be the the letters over here. Yeah. How could you possibly help? Right. Them, right? So to me, there's a duality there that people need to appreciate. And, um, you know, I think I was having this conversation it was with my mom. She was up recently helping me out. 
and I think we talked about this, I'm not sure, but um, we were just talking about the different traumas in my life and what's happened. And my parents are just really starting to be aware of this now. Like, like right. really, my dad actually texts. He's like, wow, your childhood was really shitty. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, it really was. <laughs> and so when looking at um, this through this conversation with my mom, through the perspective of sexual abuse, She's like, oh, God, I wish that just wouldn't have happened. Mm. I wish that didn't happen to you. And we could just take that away and then your life would be so much better. And I said, I wouldn't take it away for anything. And mm. she was just so uncomfortable with that statement. Right. Because it's taught me so many things about myself. Right. Right. I, I understand my boundaries. I understand my triggers differently. I understand um you know, my relationship with my body very yeah. differently. Right. And then so that it is a personal personal level, but then also on a professional level, when I was investigating the primary cases I investigated, I had baby cases and sexual abuse cases. Huh. Those are my primary cases. Huh. And, you know, very early on in my career, like within a year and a half of starting in child welfare, I was testifying in a trial where uh, uh, from a disclosure I received from a child who um, was sexually assaulted by their father and he was actually convicted like that. That is not common in, in that practice. Mm -hmm. So I was able to like harness what my, um, what I would feel or what I would need or things I would like to have known as a child living through that experience and apply that knowledge to these letters over here in the application of skills in the front line. So I was able to like harness that really quickly and use that knowledge that, and that isn't stuff that they taught me, you know, doing my Ontario risk assessment training. Right. Right. And you know, the, the, sometimes the, the risk in actually call it reliving or, or talking about it again, I wonder, and I'm mm -hmm. not a professional, but sometimes what people have cautioned me about in having this conversation with others is yeah. they may not have completely recovered. Right. So if you take them there again, they might get stuck yeah. this time. And I, I thought about that a lot. But then when I looked at my own experiences, I kind of approach it the same sort of way. I go, yeah. hold on a second. Nope, I'm going to go through it again. And I've probably played this in my head. It's like a record. A, a thousand yeah. times. And sometimes I do come out of it feeling a little bit, maybe the word is angry. You yeah. know, like there's this like, I was a victim of on at this point. Yeah. And there was this like, uh, I want justice. Yeah. Um. And so, but every time I play it, I get another little nugget, insight, let's yeah. call it, or an insight. Yeah. So I don't feel that there's, to me, a, yes, there's a danger. There is a danger. Right. And the thing is, is what we're talking about is not just belief systems, right? So there's belief systems attached to this, but we're talking about trauma, mm. right? So when we talk about trauma, trauma looks different for everyone mm. every and, and trauma is a lifelong process right it really is it's a lifelong process of self-responsibility doing the shadow work keeping things in check but i do agree with you because the more wherever they are on their spectrum of of addressing their trauma um that it just gives you so much more knowledge and the more you sit in the, the the discomfort, the actual pain and the visceral responses and the the horrors of the things you've you've witnessed and gone through and experienced, it's like the water. It's like you just acclimate to the waters and you and you can swim in it differently. So it's that duality, say, right? You have that joy. That part, 
when you just said you acclimate yeah right there that's what i want to talk about that moment of acclimation so for example how i would actually do it what i had to say to myself is going come on stop feeling sorry for yourself yeah right that's the beginning of the acclimation because that's like going from okay you got to do something about oh, this yeah. yeah this is now on me yeah right there so you see how we we brush over that like yeah yeah gotta acclimate yeah. Whoa, whoa whoa how did yeah, you acclimate point. again so what yeah. are, and how many times did you have to try yeah and not get it right yeah and try and try and try and it's what a lot were the of different work things that I, you did do you, yeah. do you remember those things yeah i do remember those things so like if you were to give like a well, for if you were me, to the, recall, like the, what would you recall? Okay, so the first, I because I didn't start to, I didn't articulate this until I became a parent, right? right? So um, when my son was eight months, I would, oh, no, he wasn't even eight months old. I would say he was like five or six months old. Okay. And he's in his high chair. I was just bringing him some blueberries and just so simple, just such an innocuous thing, but that's how trauma works, mm -hmm. right? You're just triggered and you don't know why. Okay. And I don't know what triggered me in that moment still, but I was definitely triggered. So I was bringing him blueberries. I set them on his um, high chair and then all of a sudden just dropped to the ground. I could, I just, you just fell down. I just fell to the ground. The abuse hit me. All of these flood of sexual abuse memories kept coming into my head and I couldn't get myself off the ground. Like I physically, couldn't get off the ground. My body was so heavy and I was becoming dysregulated because I was scared. And then he was looking down on me and started to cry because he could see what was happening How to me. How old was he this time? He was about five, six months old. Five, six months. And so, um, and this all happened. It was a matter of like minutes. It wasn't very long because I could, I could see the clock out of my peripheral, but it, mm. it was like a shift. And so I just had this like visual of like, Oh, this is what this trauma feels like. And, and like, I could sit in this for years. Like I could see, I could see me being, um, incapacitated for years sitting in that despair and how debilitating it really could be because I couldn't get off the ground. And then I just looked up at him and I'm like, you got to make a choice. And like, you have to stand up and face this or you're going to be on this ground for a long, long time. And that's what I did. And then I just stood up and then I booked a counselor. I phoned the police. I phoned children's aid. I confronted my uncle. I just like went down the list of things. And so, and then, you know, and then you go into counseling and you go out of counseling and you go into therapies and you, you have to constantly dig and integrate, right? It's not, it's not pretty. It's not linear. It's an emotional process, but once you go through and you get through, um, you know, there's some really great um, therapeutic modalities to get the, the mind-body connection going. And when you tap into where your trauma lies in your body, um, you really, really tap into, you know, like soul purpose, your spirit or whatever you, you know, your inner self. There's all these different words for it, right? So, so, so there's something that doesn't add up to me because I don't actually remember all of this uh that you just mentioned oh okay yeah, you, you I, i'm not making the connection yet so yeah you're you're sir you're you're bringing blueberries to your five six month old son yeah you you fall down to the ground and then you just talked about something to do with abuse and having to take therapy yeah like i don't understand how are that how is that all connected and how does that how do you connect all of that how did that unravel for it you? just for me, the way my brain works, I just knew what I needed to do. It just came to me. It just came to me. And I guess my experiential knowledge, too, I knew what I needed to do as a social worker to be able to clear that out. So, so you discovered at that point in time, like 
the blueberries had nothing to do no, with it. No, I think what, the, what was it? Like, I don't know. So this is the thing about trauma is like you can trigger a traumatic memory through sensory, usually sensory stimulus. It's very grounded in like your taste, your smells, scents, textures, sights. But it obviously took you to some Something place. took me there. Yeah. And what was that place that it, it took was, you to? It was in the moment where I was five years old and I was being sexually abused. Okay. It took me right to that trauma. Okay. And that trauma kept me on the ground. Okay. Yeah. And Sorry, I thought I, I didn't realize. No, I didn't that. see the connection. Yeah. And I did and not so, understand And that's that. what it is. And so trauma is, it could be the most innocent thing can right. trigger that. Like I remember once I was in a session with this young man and he was, you know, very depressed, very suicidal. And I was like, just, you know, going over things to try to get movement into his life again. And, um, you know, I said, well, what about competitive swimming? And then he, I could just feel it. He didn't say anything. His face didn't change, like nothing visual, nonverbal change, but I could feel it. And then I'm just like, what did, what happened? Mm-hmm. He's like, what do you mean? What happened? I'm like, I just felt something. I said, I just was talking about, um, competitive swimming. And I said, I just felt like I just this ping in my heart. Mm-hmm. And he said, and then he ran through the story of how he had a trauma related to competitive swimming. So when I said that huh. word, right. it just brought him back to his trauma. Right. Right. So he was able to identify what it was that I, that those words brought him back. But in that moment, I didn't know if it was the blueberries. It could have been the sunlight. It could have been the paint color. It could have been a smell. Right. I don't know what brought me but back. But there it was. It took you back there. It took me back. So now yeah. I've had this happen to me as well. Like you're, you've, and, and it's similar. It's not like I'm serving. It's not the same scenario. But for me, it was always, I reach these points. Like, I feel like I'm just at the edge of this glorious moment, almost like about to crash the, cross the finish line on something. Mm-hmm. For me, mm-hmm. I'm about to cross the finish you line. You got more work to do. <laughs> no, what would happen is I would fall down. Yeah. <laughs> and I couldn't understand why this was happening. And it was not just that I would fall down. I would literally stop moving. Yeah. And I'm thinking, there I did it again. And then there I did it again. And then not, and that, by the way, it wasn't just my not moving. It was me looking at it going, I'm not going to make it. Right. Cause you can actually and I couldn't feel understand how you couldn't make it. I couldn't understand why I kept saying this to myself. Yeah. I was like, wait a second. I got all the way here. I passed all of these hurdles. Yeah. All I got to do is step across the finish line and I'm not stepping across the finish line. Why am I not doing this? And I myself, my problem was, I couldn't connect it to anything. I didn't know what it was. Yeah. Yeah. That was my problem. It's like change. I couldn't understand because this kept happening again and again at different points. I'm about to cross the finish line on something. It's it's how I'm expressing it right now. The contexts are all very different. But then I'm about to cross the finish line on something and I just won't, I won't cross. It wasn't right for you. And I was thinking, Mm -hmm. what? And while I was not crossing so many other times, I didn't realize that I wasn't crossing. I was just thinking there was something circumstantial. Yeah. yeah. It was beyond me. But ultimately, it happened enough times that I started looking that at it. That you were going, the one common denominator. Yeah, that's yeah. what I started noticing. I was yeah. like, wait, it happened here. It happened here. It happened here. Yeah. In your case, it happened at one point and you were able to make the connection. Everything changes once you're able to make the connection because right. then you got to go, that's what I got to go yeah. deal with. So you made that connection at that time. I got a question for you. Yeah. Is that the first time it happened to you? That I was. That, that, that I you brought, got to that point? Um, yeah. 
Okay. That was the first time. Were there other times that you kind of felt yourself starting to fall 100%. down? Hundred percent. You always live with the awareness of it and the like body. You sensation. were five, right? And at this time, you're a mom. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So all this time went on. If but you, you still back, carry it. Yeah. Of course you carry yeah. it. Like that kind very of very real, like in a very different way than I carry it now. Now it's right. not activated. But at the uh, those times it was very activated for me. So that was like the greatest level of activation you saw of it. Hundred percent because I couldn't get off the ground. Did you see it building up to that point from other moments, or did it just go from nothing to this? Like a switch. Okay. Yeah. So you're telling me from the time you were five and had gone through this trauma. Yeah. You tucked it away. Yeah. And that was it. It never crept up again. It would creep up for me personally. Like right. I could taste things and smell things. Be more specific now. So like I want to start from like say say five and maybe we're going to kind of accelerate the yeah. rate, right? But here you are like when you said that, like when did you start noticing I've something always, tasted different or whatever you Oh, just I said. knew the taste of – I don't want to get really explicit, but right. I knew the taste of certain things connected to sexual activity. Okay. And I could just be like walking around in my day and then the taste comes into my mouth huh. or I taste it. Or if I was engaging in sexual activity – then I'd be transported back. Okay. So sometimes you're engaging in sexual activity. Sometimes you're just a smell or a scent just comes back into your brain. And it's like you're there in that moment. But the scent is even happening in the, in the world that you're in. Like it's not you're not like right. around it. It's like being able to smell, you know, roses and the roses are like four rooms over. There's no physical way you could actually smell it. But you still have that. Really and while that's all going on inside of you. You're continuing to grow as a person. I was a competitive get, gymnast, a competitive all of swimmer. These happening. I was on honor rolls. I was like, yeah. You're on your way something, but there's this thing yeah. that's slowly. But I also like, had the duality too, right? Mm. I was a, a super high achiever, mm. but I also was like <laughs> into like, I was like such a daredevil oh. and took all these calculated risks or some of them just like stupid risks. Right. Right. Some you, you're always there was that duality in my experience. And too. it's how you were carrying this trauma. Right. And so like you develop maladaptive and adaptive coping mechanisms. And that was just one trauma. I've had multiple. Right. So when you so, say adaptive and maladaptive, give me an example. OK, so. An adaptive strategy during... Because we're smarter than we realize, right? A 100%. lot of people. And you, just that. Yeah. And you're even smarter because you understand the technique now. Yeah. But so tell me. So, so give me examples of adaptive and maladaptive Okay. Things. So an adaptive strategy for that, um, for that sexual assault when I was younger would be to like zone out, go into my head, create a space and just kind of like tune out of my body a little bit, right? Okay. That's a very adaptive response. And, and you would do this like just, you would sit down you and go, do now I'm going to do this. It just happens it would be naturally. Nothing you would, the brain you does it to do protect to, you. To kind of prompt you. Yeah, your okay. brain does it naturally to protect you. Everyone has this capacity. Okay. When something is too overwhelming for us, we, we, can, we can put up. it in a little box and yeah. just kind of disassociate, right? It's a disassociation. So right. in that um, in that context, it's very adaptive, right? Because that's a, like a survival skill when that's happening, right? right. Got it. Because you can't control what's happening to you, but you can control your response, mm. right? So you develop this adaptive um, skill, but then later on that same adaptive skill, it becomes hardwired into your brain. And so we all have this, whether it be experiences or traumas. And so these adaptive skills become hardwired, but then 
they sometimes become maladaptive in our life. So while this disassociation or compartmentalizing um, became adaptive in that context, it became maladaptive later in life, particularly like when, let's say, I became sexually active. This is just one example. Of right. That's what I wanted active, to know. I wanted right? to see like, like okay, So where it, it becomes yeah. adaptive to maladaptive. So become sexually active. And I could never find my voice. I could never say, no, I don't want to do that. Or okay. um, I would just retreat into my head anytime I would engage in any kind of sexual activity and okay. disassociate. Right. 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 Because that's what I did with sex or sexual activity during assaults when I was younger. I see. Right. So that was an adaptive strategy. But in the context of healthy reciprocal relationships, that's a very maladaptive thing to do because right. you're not connecting with your partner. You're not seeing what your needs are. Your needs aren't getting met or your comfort level might not be expressed. So you might be engaging in things that are not comfortable, but you can't. And while you were going through this maladaptive voice. and adaptive behavior, did you at that time make the connection? Were you even aware? Would you say, looking back not on initially, it, that it was, no. was connected? You you're not even no, aware. Cause so I was imagine how very many people young. are not. Uh, we, of course. So we have this no... is the thing. No one talks about this stuff. Right. Right. Because So this you know, could be happening. It's happening to all of us. We and we all don't have even, these things. We, we haven't even have connected them. it. Right. Because these conversations are very faux pas. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Particularly around like sexual abuse. No right. one wants to talk about sexual abuse. Right. But it's like one of the most prevalent yeah. things. Or even abuse of any sort. Any abuse. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. A hundred percent. And that's even more prevalent, like how abusive, you know, certain environments or yeah. relationships can be. Yeah. Uh, there's just no shortage of it. And here are people then walking through life, not realizing that we are now at these, what I would call near my finish lines. Right. And not getting across. Right. And I'm not able to make that connection. Right. And so when you look so at So how did you finally start? Like, so you had this moment coming back to the yeah. blueberries. I'm going to call it the yeah, blueberry. Yeah, the blueberry incident. So the blueberry incident. <laughs> that's when you knew. Well, it's not. I knew. I've always known. But okay. that's when I knew uh-huh. if I didn't deal with this, right. I would be on that floor. Okay. So it got so to So I point. knew that. And I looked up at my son and I'm like. You're a mother now. You got to like get rid of this shit because he's the priority. Yeah. And you can't barf this negativity onto this little boy's life. So I find that interesting. So, because I'm not responsible for what happened to me. I'm not yeah. responsible for that abuse, but I am responsible for how it manifests in my life and how I receive and perceive information and how I carry myself in my relationships. Do so you, that's do you what, think it was a self-responsibility moment. Well, that's interesting because I was just about to ask you, speaking of responsibility, and and I'm just, again, this is from a complete layman's point of view. All these other times, there wasn't a son that you had to look at and say, if I don't get my shit together, right? Before it was just you. Yeah. And now there's this other sort of, um, you know, this other person Mm -hmm. who's got a lot of meaning or Mm -hmm. this other sort of responsibility that we have. And all of a sudden, it was like this commitment that we had to that. Right. That superseded a commitment to self. Do you think that had anything to do with it? That's that's trauma as well, right? Okay. So that's also a trauma response in the sense that someone else's needs are more important than my own. Right. But I knew that, but I didn't give a shit because it motivated me to get off the floor. <laughs> Right. And so what mm. I did is I just mm. kept that awareness. Okay. And I'm like, okay, I, I gotta um, I gotta unpack this mm. because at that moment, um, not that I was suicidal or I didn't care about myself or I wasn't depressed, it wasn't anything like that. Right. But I had more care and love 
and vigor to do well for my son than I did for myself. Right. And so that's also a trauma response. My needs are less, yours are more. I'll put my needs down and, and so forth. But well, um, it's interesting because that's similar to what happened here. Uh, in, in my case, it was the same sort of motivation. Right. And one of the things we, we try to talk about is, you know, being enabled, empowered, but then being motivated. Right. Like, what's my why? You know, and I was thinking, you're a father now. You got these kids, who, you know, depend on you somehow yeah. that pushed. And it was like it gave me a reason. And even if it meant it wasn't that myself that I was doing this for, I was doing it for them. Yeah, it's still it was leverage. And I think that's something that we can you can you can take a closer look at. Right. Because everybody can maybe find that leverage. Is that Everyone what you would has call something it? Something that motivates something that yeah. connects them. So like when you're looking at things through. um when you do assist training, assist is applied suicide intervention skills training. So when you're doing assist training, when you're trying to literally talk someone off the roof, it's about what are they connected to? Okay. Right? What motivates them to stay alive? What motivates you to work through this, this discomfort? And so it's the connection that's key. And so a suicidal person or a person in the depths of despair of whatever their experience is that they're going through that motivation and that connection isn't going to come from the self because you're so depleted at that point. So you need to find to baselines to connect people. Because usually on the way to that point, to that abyss point, yeah, you know how you talked about getting this something that you're connected to? Usually, and I found that I was cutting my connections right. to the things that would actually be my motivators later. And that's what created the despair now, ultimately, from not, the lack of not suicidal. I was completely disconnected from all my motivations. Yeah. And I was the one cutting them. I also realized. And in fact, what I also realized is even these these elements of abuse that were around me were part of an ecosystem that I was responsible for creating. Right. Almost to keep me there. Yep. And then when I finally realized that this is my creation. Right. Then I was like, wait, if I can create it, then I can create something else. Mm -hmm. um, we're willing participants in our own incarceration. This is it. So in every step of our way, we make these informed decisions that set up our structures of our life, but are not resonating with who we are as, as people. So you and finally got to this point of owning it mm -hmm. and saying, I'm gonna, I have to do something for whatever the reasons are. Yeah. And then after that point, it looks like, you know, okay, I'm going to do this, whether talk to somebody or do something. But right up until that point, it was like, it, I felt, I, I don't know if you felt, under putting carpet. it under the rug. Yeah, That's exactly up. it. Putting it under the rug, yeah. Until there was just no more rug. No more rug. The rug, <laughs> the rug had a big mound out. The rug got pulled out underneath. from underneath our feet, literally, and we're finding ourselves on the floor. Yeah. Um, I think that's, to me, like where the real... Um, the aha moments. What do they call those? Anyway, epiphanies. Th those epiphanies, right? They take place. Yeah. Right. Because up until that moment, I I didn't know why. I or I did know why, and it just wasn't enough to go and do something about it. Mm -hmm. Um, you and I, I feel like sometimes got lucky, because a lot of times when we fall down there, we just stay down there, and it can actually happen. Yeah. Like you got a little bit of tenacity in you. Yeah. You were a competitive, you said, was yeah. it swimmer or gymnast? Gymnast and swimmer, okay. yeah. So you had this competitive yeah. side. Yeah, I'm a side Scorpio. You're a Scorpio. <laughs> so you got like, you know, you got the attitude. Yeah, you're a sassy. little bit of fire. Yeah, yeah, you got a little fire. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I guess that's interesting. I'm an Aries as a hard head, like, you know, like, 
people say that. So I got a little bit of attitude. The Ram. I think that's Ram. Yeah. Is our, yeah. My name is Muhammad Ali. I was named after this guy. He was like, yeah, super attitude, right? So I th- that attitude we had, as much as it's, um, it can be a weakness in some ways, it became, you know, a tool for us yeah. that we can pull out. And I, I, wor- I worry about situations where people didn't have that. So I'll come back to that another time. What, what do you do when you, you know, when you don't? But I don't want you to get into that because yeah. that's, Those that's somebody else's. Those are resiliency factors and everyone's resiliency okay. factors look different, right? So your resiliency kind of, that's it. So that's what picked you back up. Um, how, yeah. how hard was it though for you? I mean, after that moment, it's not like, oh, okay, it's then roses after that. You still had to go. Yeah, I still did it. Right. But like, I don't know. I just, and again, this is part of like the disassociation too. You can just like, and it's like maybe like an alpha kind of personality too. I'm just mm. like, I'm going to deal with this and I'm going to get it done. And I did. I went, I just, I literally. Did you think, for example, that it was like, oh, that was a one-time thing. It's not going to No, happen. I knew it. I've, I've gone back to therapy at different points over the lot. My son's 18 now. Okay. So I've gone back and done different work. Like stuff percolates. Okay. Right? And surfaces still, right? So, so what were the discoveries that you, you – that's cool that you've – he's 18 now. He was like five months old. Yeah. You said you did different sort of sessions. Yeah. Um, walk us through like some of the discoveries like – that, that you can share, right? That you yeah. Feel so, so at the beginning, find out? it was just really How about. How did you come over it? Um, it was really just about identifying what happened to me, saying it out loud because okay. I'd never said it out loud to anyone. Um, that was the that was the first and earliest first time, sessions. First, right? yeah, the very first sessions is the first time I ever actually. When I got myself off the floor, I phoned my boss at CAS. I worked at Children's Aid at the time, and I told her what had just happened to me and I said I'm going to go to counseling and what do you think like what do you think I should do like or who do who should I go to and she wasn't surprised because her feedback I can't remember her verbatim but her feedback was Trina I'm not surprised look at the investigations you do and how well you do them she knew by the nature of my work Hmm. I had insight and and also from the fact that like I'd work crazy overtime like obscene amount of overtime right so Mm. um so she was the first person i said it to then i went to counseling then really unpacked the whole story and what it looked like and into the grooming and so forth and how long it went on for um so these are these these are different sessions these are different sessions i did it for about three months i went once a week for three months and then um, at the end of that three months, I confronted my uncle, who was the perpetrator of the abuse. Um, I had a friend sitting in a coffee shop in the peripheral that he didn't know just to make sure I was, right. you know, so okay. You, so you had to kind of plan the logistics on this, right? Yep. Um, th- these are not accidental small little details. They're they're important. Yeah, um, <laughs> I guess so. Well, yeah, well, I haven't because, thought about it in so long. Well, when you think about it, because yeah. like a lot, of, a lot of times we do this. Right. We plan. We then execute. And that's the kind of stuff that I want to share. Yeah. Is because, the details of the because, growth. Yeah. Because right? in there is where I think sometimes I've made missteps. Maybe in right. the past, you've even maybe tried to confront or you've tried to correct. But those are the details that were not present. Right. There was no safety net, for example, yeah. uh, when you were setting it up the first time. So then you didn't end up doing it. Right. Yeah. Unbeknowingly. Right. So go on. You were saying. Yeah. So, yeah, I just um, set up. For him to meet me at a local restaurant, my friend was there. She knew what was up. Within just three months. Within three months. Huh. And, um, yeah, confronted him, told him, like, one memory in great detail. Yeah. Um, 
And he didn't, and this is the beauty of it. He didn't say no and he didn't say yes. He just said, Trina, I'm, if you believe that happened, I'm sorry, you know, you're, you're going through this. And so I'm just like that to me, that was affirmation because coming from working, um, a right. lot within the field, I know, um, you know, he wasn't going to make an inculpatory statement, but an innocent person would deny. Not uh, that I had any, right. I knew he did it. Well, the thing but, that I take from you know, that. innocent people will be like, are you insane? Are you kidding me? Right. You know, whatever. So the fact that he, it was just, that was validating for me in that sense. Right. Um, That's the interesting thing is that um, quite often when others are doing the same sort of thing and they're trying to approach it the same way, they don't get that um, confession. Right. And because they didn't get it, I think that's what we seek is we're like, hey, I want you to you understand need to be accountable. you did this yeah. as well. Yeah. Right. But you don't need you that. Don't, so you don't you need don't it. need it. Yeah. And, you know, I did it just because I felt like that was something I need to do. I have a massive family. A lot of people didn't talk to me after that. Mm. I was, you know, ostracized and right. still am, which is fine. Right. Um, you know, and that's the thing. Like you have to shift into forgiveness because it's not forgiveness for them, it's forgiveness for yourself because if you can't forgive, it just harbors resentment and it's like a cancer in your body. So I had to have that conversation with him to say, you know what, I forgive you for this because I, I do understand. I know some of his story um, and I do understand why he does the things he does and, and can, I don't know if he does them still, but um you know, I understood his perspective as the abuser as well, but. Do you think, um, you just talked again, you just skipped over this part here and I look over and go, hold on. The, the forgiveness? The, no, the being ostracized by the family. Yeah. And that's sometimes a risk, right? 100%. That's sometimes a price people that's for some people too high to pay. And so somebody will say, hey, you know what? I will deal with this family member. And that's often where it happens, by the way, right? It happens yeah. right close to It's always right someone close. close to you. It's not the guy in the trench coat right. walking in the park right. naked, flashing people. They're people who are connected to you. They're the right. people that have um And so you worry power. about all the other yeah. people that are connected to these, to these people that are also connected to you. And if you rock that boat, God forbid, you break all these ties. Right. So just keep the peace. Right. And that makes the situation so much worse as well. For the so it you can for the person who's yeah. the victim. For yeah, sure. absolutely. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that's sometimes even something that could prolong your getting to this. Yeah, point. it totally could. And I kind of like, and this is the thing with me with theory, I, therapy. I kind of leapfrog over things because I can get through a lot of stuff yeah. on my own, like through meditation and reflection, and right. just really, you know, practicing gratitude and really holding myself accountable for my actions. Because um, a lot of times for those who go through this, and again, I will speak also from my own experience, yeah. is that when that re reaction comes from the family or from the ones nearby, it seems to be taken as like, that was my, that was a misstep. Well, yeah, because right? it's On interpreted as what it well, is. Well, I made a mistake there then. Right. It's it's shutting down the victim, right? Because people are so uncomfortable with the right. truth that you're speaking. They would rather you be quiet. Than for them to face that reality because the disruption it causes within themselves and their relationship with the perpetrator and also within the family structure. Right. So. Um, but you couldn't have another blueberry moment. I couldn't. Right. It wasn't worth it to me. Right. It wasn't worth it. So. so blueberry. You know, it, it's sad at times, you know, because, you know, you'd think people would keep you in their circle. But, you know, that's their journey. And that's a reflection of them. That's not a reflection of me. 
um, you know, you just send them love from a distance because they will matriculate back. Like I remember in the last couple of years, my dad's just even come to the, cause this was his sibling. Yeah. And, um, and so I guess, okay, so 18, about three years. So it was 15. So 15 years after I told my parents that this had happened, huh. um, uh, he up in the first five to eight years, I can't remember how long it was a long time. He would still go on motorcycle trips with this uncle. He would stay with him, go to these picnic, like all of these different activities where they were still really engaging. And my friends were so mad. They're like, how can you even talk to your dad after you told him what he did to you? He's still hanging out with your uncle. Like, you know, I'm so pissed off and so mad for you. And I'm Hmm. like, these are not That's, family members. These are people. Who these are my friends you. that care for me. Right. And they're like, your dad is still hanging out with this guy, his brother who did this to you. And you told him this. I'm like, yeah, I get it. But like, I'm OK. Mm. Like he is him. Mm. I'm me. And he, I'm OK no, no matter what. That had no effect on you in terms it did. of somebody it, siding with the other it was, side. It or, was. Yeah, it did for like an hour. Yeah. <laughs> and then I went but, through this wave. Okay. Right. And I'm yeah. like, and then I, and then I, as I rode that wave of discomfort and anger and, you know, like raging. Right. And then I just wrote it, meditated it. And I'm like, okay, that's his journey, not Hold mine. On. You meditated. Yeah. Okay. So it didn't, you didn't just get through this. Cause if you don't take some of these you steps, you have to take steps to sit back and sit with it. Right. Right. Let's talk about that meditating that you would do. Like, when did you decide, Hey, were you doing it all the time? When did you decide, okay, um, this is what I want to do. Because it's, it's a huge, it's a huge. So uh, at that step. time, at that time, I was actively meditating and not as much as I am now. Mm. Um, but I would say more when I was in discomfort than than anything else. So now it's more of a habit that I do it good or bad. Right. I always, that's it's my part practice. of the routine. Right. 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 Then it was when my system is so overwhelmed and I have so many emotions and I'm just like really, you know, the Scorpio fiery yeah. <laughs> version of myself. Oh, that's comes a, out. That's the thing, right? <laughs> yeah. That person meditating. Wow. I, that's yeah. even harder. Because you gotta, you gotta hone it in. Right. And so, you know, and then I'm like, that's my dad's journey. And I, I had to, you know, I had to look at it from his perspective. Mm. This is his brother. You know, there's a level of cognitive dissonance that happens for people. They can't, they can't negotiate the horror that you're telling them with the person that they see, right? right? Because, you know, he was kind and he was generous. And this is my perpetrator, my abuser. You know, he was all these things, but that's what groomers do, right? right. They are these enticing, fun to be around people, right. right? So people can't, you know, they have that cognitive dissonance. They can't compare the two. They, they can't mm. exist at the same time, right? Mm. They have to be existing in parallel polarity for them not in one entity as one person so i'm just like dad's gonna figure it out and then about three years ago he finally that's when he started to get angry Hmm. because he's like you're never invited to the family picnic and it's been going on like dude i haven't been going to the family picnic for 15 years (laughs) like all of a sudden he's like you're going to the family picnic i'm like i'm okay i'm like and so he was having that reaction to it, right? So that was his journey in a reaction to my abuse, right? So, so after having gone through all of this, right, and having come through it, 
And you talked about it's it's not something that just happened overnight. Like you work at it, you work at you it. You always work are working work at, at, it. at it. Did you find that there were times that as you were going forward, and this happens to me too sometimes, it's like, I feel like I'm going forward. You know, you're making progress. You can tell. Yeah. Your feelings, your thoughts are different. Confidence picks up. All these things happen. Things start working out differently. But then sometimes we fall back again. Did yeah. that ever happen where you like you felt you felt like you're falling within falling the back? context of this experience? Yeah. Um, I don't really see it as falling back. I never I never like those words don't really come to me. I would see it as I got to pay attention to this a little bit more right now. Right. Right. I see this percolating a different issue for me potentially or. Or if I wanted to rule things out. How would that manifest? So for me with the chronic pain journey. Okay. So right? it would appear that way. Right. So there is a huge, you know, this is common knowledge. There's huge schools of research about how the body um, will hold traumatic experiences in the myofascial tissue. Yes. And it actually, can, there's an epigenetic component of cross-generational trauma. So trauma has the capacity to change our genetic profile. So I, I'm very aware of these things. I read about these things all the time. So it, going through my experience with chronic pain and chronic migraines, I'm like, huh, that uh, was a pretty significant. So indicators. Then. Right. And right. plus when you look at the ACEs score, like the adverse childhood experiences, my, my score is seven out of 10. I don't even know what that means. So it's a, it's a trauma, just a quick and dirty little assessment tool because what happens, it, it's not diagnostic, right. but it's just a clinical tool. So you, there's 10 questions and each question is worth one point. My, okay. So mine was seven out of 10. And so kind of um, tells you how happy you were as a kid. Is it, that it tells you about adverse experiences in okay. your childhood. So um, are your parents divorced? Had, were you sexually assaulted? Has anyone, has there been violence in your home? Has anyone had an addiction? Has anyone been incarcerated? And is like 10 better or is one better? One zero is optimal. Zero is optimal. Okay. Zero is like right. you've had no adverse experiences okay. Okay. through this this lens, this, this lens, perspective. Right. Okay. So, so you're, you're seven. That's like pretty high. Yeah. So um, when you're looking at that, you also have to compound it and balance it with your your resiliency mm. factors as well, um, which I was also very resourceful at. Right. I was very resourceful at attaching. I knew the right people to attach myself to outside of my family. I just really, I just understood that How? as a child. I, Come on. I I just knew. How to connect? What was myself. it about these people that told you that this is where I need to? This is who I should. Okay, with? so I'm going to go back to. I'll go to that, but okay. I, I'm going to finish the, the ACEs yes. score. So yes. the ACEs is important because if you have these experience, the research used to say five years, but now it's coming up more seven years with brain development, right? Okay. So if you're if you have uh, several adverse experiences under the age of five or under the age of seven now, mm-hmm. that that will hardwire your brain and your behaviors a certain way. So if you came out of, you know, a very stable, very comfortable, highly nurtured household um, for your first seven years of your life and didn't experience any trauma, the chances are later in life when traumatic things, because they happen to all of us, when they do occur, 
you're going to have a more solid foundation to navigate that because you have a very secure attachment to start from. Okay. Right. Got it. Yes. You're really grounded. Mm. So mm. a lot, most of my, not all, but a good chunk of my adverse experiences happened in those seven years. Okay. So when that happens, it hardwires your brain differently. It hardwires your fight, flight, flee responses. It, you know, changes your, like we spoke about before, your adaptive and maladaptive, right? So that's how that manifests. Okay, circling back to your other question, yeah. what was it? Do you remember? Yeah, how did you know uh, about these people? What is it about them? I don't know. I have a sense. I can, I can just, I could just feel people who, which is weird for a person who's been abused, but I do feel people who can be helpful to me. Well, if you and, know the people that can be hurtful, it can also tell you who can right. be helpful, right? Don't you think? Yeah, yeah. And you're right, the duality, right? There's right. the duality of it. And so I always would have like, like I would Friends, do it by parents. saying like that one looks like the opposite of this person. So therefore, yeah. is that what you like? I, don't I, know, know, I, do I never that. I don't remember that that linear kind of thought process. Yeah. But yeah. like I just I had rem- to keep it simple. So I didn't have. These, yeah. Like, references. And like I moved out really young, but. But you got a feeling from these people. Yeah. And so I would attach myself to families like I would rent a room. I could easily go get my own apartment at 16 when I moved out or 15. But um well, CIS wouldn't have let me at 15, so when I turned 16, but um, but I would attach myself to families and I would rent rooms off of my friend's parents. Okay. So I would always have like a familial structure around right. me, right. even though I was kind of like freewheeling it on so my you, own. But you were building these kind of tribes, this kind of support. Yeah. We talked about the village, right? Right. Build and your village. Exactly. Huh. Exactly. Interesting. So I have... And while you were doing that, did you know that you were doing this or you were just seeking it out like in tactical ways i didn't do it cognitively like i wasn't very conscious of it yeah yeah it came turned out to be huge yeah well some of it was conscious to be now that i think back because um a lot of wild things happened in high school and i came from an area i went to three high schools but the area i went to high school most a lot of drugs a lot of partying a lot of truancy right and i didn't want my apartment because i'd be by myself I didn't want an apartment I was in to be a haven for drop-ins, mm-hmm. right? I didn't want that because I knew I needed to study and work and all that kind of stuff. So I think I was very aware of that. So I did attach myself to families with that awareness of, of from that perspective. So where are you today? Like with uh, like how, how do you, as you look kind of like through all of this, right? Yeah. And, and um, you know, at some point in time, you talked about your supervisor telling you, yeah, no wonder, you know, this is these are the kind of cases that you're taking. Do you now, um, as you look back on all this, I mean, there's a lot, right? Obviously, that, you, that you're looking back on. Yeah. Look at what you are today, though. I mean, look at what you're able to do for, right? Yeah. Uh, for others kind of who, who are going through these sort of, um, would you say that you'd even be anywhere as, again, I don't know what the technical word would be for it, but, you know, as effective as you are today, um, had you not really seen it to like that, that level of proximity to, to the trauma, you know, as you're helping people yeah. who go through trauma, uh, I find that, um, like for me, it was in business, right? Like yeah. uh, for me, it was like, I kept falling down, kept falling down. And now when I see people falling down in business, you talk to people on a personal level, you know, I see, I talk to people on a business level and I think, yeah, hey, oh, that, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah, you know, don't worry, it gets worse and then it gets better. Yeah. That's what I say. And we laugh it off and off we go. But deep down inside, you know that you're not joking about it. Right. It, it can get pretty bad, but don't worry. 
Right. You know, there's a way out of this and you're perfectly capable right the way you are right now mm -hmm. to get through it. You just need a few tips and then you work from there. Right. Right. You're so much more effective now doing that. Yeah. Like I think. Well, I think there's a lot of people in helping professions that haven't been through the traumatic experiences that I have that would be just as helpful and, and skilled or more skilled than I would be. Mm. Right. I, I do believe there is that segment. But I feel like, you know, I don't do self-disclosure when I'm working with people, right? right? Because right. it's not about me, it's about them. Of course. Um, but I do, you have these moments where you're like, oh, okay, well, this is like with my experience, this is where I would have probed a little differently or would have would have appreciated this line of questioning or this line, this line, this type of engagement. And so... I use that information to navigate, but there's no disclosure attached to it, right? But I think that the thing of it is with with what my experiences have been, and this is a risk with anyone in any health professional and myself included, is if I'm not aware of my trauma and I'm not looking at it regularly and I'm not aware of how it is manifesting in my actions and interactions with others, maybe my clients or my family members, friends, whoever I'm, I'm working with. But most importantly, and for this conversation, my clients, because that that's that's who I, I'm their helper, right? Mm -hmm. If I'm not aware of my trauma, then I could be traumatizing them. So it, hmm. it comes to the responsibility, like it's that self-responsibility where I need to perpetually be doing this kind of like, you know, cleansing and checking and rebalancing and, and figuring out where I am and that self-accountability because, you know, we all have trauma and it comes out in different ways. And so when you're in a helping profession, you have to be very aware of what you're bringing to the table and why you're bringing certain things to the table. Yeah. So something as innocuous as billing, you know, if you have discomfort, and this was an issue for me initially, is you know, I discomfort with billing people, you know, you don't like, I don't like charging for what I do because mm. it's a passion, but right. I got to eat. Right. <laughs> right. Right. So, um, you know, and I was really hesitant. This person was, you know, grossly arrears in, in their account with me. Mm. And I contributed to like, I consented to this, like it was a conversation, but now it was like, we needed to be dealt with. Right. And, um, I just, but there was a hesitancy there. And so mm. I had to sit with that for a while. I'm like, mm. hey, why am I hesitant? Yeah. Why? We, why? Like, I've provided a service. Right. We have a contract. Right. Where's the disconnect? Right. 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 And it was, and so you had to, I had to work through, like, where's that coming from? Mm-hmm. Right. And, mm -hmm. and a trauma associated with money. Right. So then I'm like, then I had to like come into the conversation first and at the meeting because I knew if I didn't address that at the very beginning of the meeting and left it to the very end after the end of the session and just said, Oh, by the way, let's clean up the arrears. That's putting my needs first, not his needs first. Mm. Right. Cause that's an uncomfortable situation for me to have that discussion. Yes. Right. Yes. And it's easier for me to do it at the end where it's quick and dirty and like, oh, I got another client in five minutes. You got to go. So just write me a check. No, I have to, I had to put it at the beginning mm. because that's I'm there for him. And I don't like I, my needs don't matter necessarily, mm. like for lack of a better word in that moment. Right. So. So th there are so many people who, as you said, there's no shortage of examples where people go through cases of abuse. Um. There could have been like other parallel lives for you, like other paths you could have taken mm -hmm. had you not done certain things. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes sometimes I was there. on both paths, the good and the bad, simultaneously. Well, well, so that's an interesting <laughs> that's an interesting thought because we're constantly journeying anyway. Yeah. So like like again, you sometimes we shift lanes, right? Right. Um, but here you are, and you're doing great, and you know there are all these others that are that maybe either weren't aware of the other, you know, th- that other parallel, that other lane. Right. They, they, they can't make that shift. They're not making that shift for right. whatever reason. Either they don't have the, the, the tribe. Uh, they don't have the motivators or they're not aware of their motivators. Um, there's so many sort of things that kind of hold people in that position. Um, and all enough, all or nothing thinking. OK, so how do what, what, what do you say to that person to get them to take that next sort of steps? It could be it could be one or two things. That you look at and go, hey, yeah, these are probably one of the biggest things that were holding me. And this right there is what I would I would start thinking about doing differently. Mm-hmm. I mean, insanity is doing the same thing over and Expecting over again. Expecting a different result. Right? Yeah. So what is that thing? What is that one or two things that people could take away from that? To try to get them If motivated. you were to go back to Trina, not at the time of the blueberries, before that, right? Because you, you want to say like, but to you as blueberries, you falling down in front of your five, five month old, mm-hmm. somebody else, that's another moment, right? And mm-hmm. you're, you're able at that moment to say, pick up the phone and see the time and see all these things. But for others, oh, they, I could totally they, see in that moment just, how people are lost. They could get lost. It's debilitating. Into it. You break down. I could see. I and could you can't just hit a reset button and no. take a time out. And that's where and I have some, some kind of resiliency factor that right. just kicks in. I have some kind of. So as you see people kind of building up to that moment, yeah. what could be done? I guess is my question is if you were to talk to Trina before that moment going, hey, you didn't have to get to this point. Here, here's a thought. Here's one or two things that you could do that you think about that could, like you said, leapfrog you past that moment. You don't have to wait till well, you get to that. Is there and anything? this is so the, I do hear what you're saying, but I see it from two different perspectives. I see it from the perspective of trauma and I see it through the perspective of just going through life challenges that are really shitty and how do you get up from that? Right. So um, from the perspective of trauma is yeah. Earlier intervention can be helpful from a clinical perspective, but I never said anything. So my loss of connection happened long before the abuse happened because I didn't feel safe enough to even say anything to my parents. Mm. I never told them. Okay. Right. So when you're looking at dealing with traumas, you know, we tend to look at things in a very linear fashion. Trauma isn't linear. It's messy. It's sporadic. It's, you know, snaky and squirrely and meandering. And it's a lifelong journey, right? We're always reflecting and keeping things in check and just seeing where things are at, right? So to to say there's one kind of trajectory to, to um, unfold that is we can't really put that approach because it's so unique to every person and every person has their own resiliency factors and strengths and readiness to come to the table to face these realities, right? And then so when you're looking at it from the perspective of um, just hitting milestones that are really hard and where you're getting into the darkness and the dirt of life and just like remove trauma from the equation, I think from that perspective, I think knowing your essence, knowing who you are, what your values are, what your beliefs are, and really getting a foundational grounding in that and being told that it's okay. Like we we have this such adverse reaction to anything that's uncomfortable or painful in life. And we're not taught that 
you know, with pain, like coming back to what we talked about earlier with the the analogy of the butterfly, with with growth comes struggle, mm. right? Mm. And um, we're not taught that. We're taught like let's let's soothe things, let's take an Advil, let's you know, let's mm. take the easy way. Like, oh, you got money, you you got this handed to you. Like, we, you know, pointing externally all the time. But I think if we're taught earlier to look internally to connect with ourselves to meditate and really really align with what um align or sorry really manifest what aligns with us i think if we're taught those capacities earlier on and how to take care of ourselves properly mm-hmm. and how to communicate effectively and how to have relationships i think those are the pivotal things i think would have been super helpful because i think we all learn those things whether we're unpacking trauma or not. <laughs> so right? keep inflecting and keep communicating. Yeah. You know, somebody said it the other day. We were talking about, you know, you can't help uh, fill up another person's cup unless your cup is full or something like that. Somebody was talking about, you yeah. know, the cup. The yeah, cup. it's like the airplane. Put your mask right? on first, right? right? So I thought about that and I, I got to moments myself where it really felt the cup was completely empty. Yeah. And then I had to, and now I keep t- telling myself the one thing I tell myself is like, I'm going to get to those moments again where I'm going to feel the cup is empty. And on that day, remind yourself that actually you have you have a lot in that cup that's worth yeah. fighting for because we, we forget or we lose sight of. Mm-hmm. Right. And sometimes we feel like it's external to us. We got to go get something. There's not mm-hmm. enough inside of us. That, it, that that we're not capable enough or that we're not worth it. The negative self-talk right. comes in. The ego comes in. Yep. And that gets you through. Yeah. Whew. You know what? I got to say, um, you know what you have that I think will be very helpful when we're meeting and talking to other people and having conversations is that, you know, sometimes you shout out these like these terminologies that I'm looking at it going, wow, that's just like you so understand this. And I can't decipher whether you understand it because you've been through it or because you studied it. <laughs> Both. <laughs> yeah. I think Both. that's what makes you so great at it. So, uh, so thank you, you know, just for sitting here chatting with me about it. And I can I can just see us uh, quite often sitting together with somebody else and just being able to, you know, walk people down. through. Yeah, um, it's going to be a little bit uncomfortable for people. But I, I really appreciate that you're willing to do something that I think is very uncomfortable for people to do. And you're proving this is, I think, the biggest thing that I admire about you is that some would look at it as uncomfortable. Some of it look some of them look at it as as risky. Mm-hmm. You look at it as truth. Yeah. I love that. It's truth. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And we're going to do this again. Let's do it again. All right. We Sounds like a plan. Sounds like a plan. <laughs> I have some other ideas we're going to talk oh, about. Oh, God. <laughs> All right. And I think, I don't know, that sounds like a wrap. <laughs>